Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Principles Show. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Malik. I'm a trainee psychiatrist and electronic musician based in Northwest England. I'm passionate about making mental health concepts more accessible to the public, create conversations around psychology, and change perspectives on topics ranging from philosophy to psychedelics, aging to motherhood. I have the privilege of hosting this space on the first Wednesday of every month from 5 to 6 p.m. on Melodic Distraction Radio. Every episode has a featured guest to share their views, opinions, and expertise with us. So our first episode, we're going to discuss the neurobiology of money, how money can affect our emotions and our perspectives of life, and ponder over questions like, why isn't everyone rich? To help me here in the studio is Dr. Idris Janadu. He's a fellow psychiatrist and good friend. Hello, Idris. Hi, everyone. Hi, Hassan. Yeah, like Hassan said, my name is Dr. Idris Janadu. I'm a psychiatrist that works in the northwest of England. But in my personal time, one of the things I enjoy doing is getting familiar with the relationship between money and behavior. The historian Yuval Noah Harari, who's an Israeli historian, you might know him by uh, a book he wrote called Sapiens. So he thought that humans are unique because they can tell stories, they can have abstract concepts. He was talking more about religion and how we are the only species on the planet who you can convince of something that they've never seen that is not tangible. He was talking more about how religions are propagated and why these concepts are so important. I think this concept can also be applied to money and how we can have that level of cognition, we can have that level of thinking where we can understand that a piece of paper holds a value which is not the value of the paper itself. Mm. So it's not how much fire you can burn with it. It has a certain denomination. It represents a mode of um, mode of transaction. It's a way of accounting things. So I think that how how we've evolved in the species, money began about like three thousand years ago, according to some research. Yeah. And in that time, this is a recent development. Human beings have evolved from hunter-gatherers who hunt for, as you would imagine, probably a gazelle skipping around yeah, um, with a nice sharp spear, but now you're armed perhaps with a degree or some experience and a CV mm. and you're looking to provide for yourself and your family. Definitely. Instinctual drives as human beings are, like I mentioned before, to feed yourself nutrition and also to procreate. How is that... How does that relate to money? Well, you know, money has become so important in our lives, you know, in the human race. Like earlier, I mentioned that no matter who you are or where you're from or what you believe in, at some point, you'll care about money and you care about your health. And the reason why is because money has taken center stage. It's become a tool to exist. Um, to put this into perspective, someone you might all know is um, Abraham Maslow, the Russian-American 
who wrote in the psychology review russian american that's that's new i thought it was one or the other apparently <laughs> <laughs> he's both yeah so he made um for i'm sure maybe some of you guys uh, have heard um it he made a fancy pyramid mm. or a triangle and you go between what your needs are your deficiency needs that you need to be fulfilled to be human to exist and then beyond those basic four you have another growth needs which allow you to transcend higher so i think there are eight total idris that's right and if you think about it hasan the dis- deficiency needs that ibrahim maslow spoke about mm-hmm. are things that you absolutely need to okay. exist you know things like physiological needs you need to be healthy and if you think about it um most people who seek out a doctor mm-hmm. do it because they're going through some kind of pain either mm-hmm. physical pain yeah or psychological pain yeah when you're in that situation you would do whatever it takes to get yourself out of that situation he spoke about the our need for safety mm-hmm. you know we all want to be safe we all want to sleep and wake up knowing that wherever we take as our shelter is a safe space you know abraham maslow talked about other needs that you absolutely need to exist things like our need for food our need for water shelter our need for shelter mm-hmm. so those four main things are now interlinked with money so much so that you have to think about money at some point in your life okay just to just to meet those basic the base of the pyramid or the triangle just to exist okay so that so, so money has been around like we're talking about relatively recent in our evolutionary history when we are thinking about things like food or or procreation we have certain biological responses to it and there's certain neurochemicals or neurotransmitters in our brain which reward us for for achieving those things and yeah. that's your basic drive so although you need food to survive but how does your brain know that you need food to survive yeah so every time you eat you have that nice burger with fries <laughs> and um or um you know you have sex so although sex in itself as far as your brain is concerned the desire there is pleasurable because that's your biological drive to procreate yeah to pass on your seed your dna the neurochemical that's involved in those drives the ones i mentioned the pleasure hormone or pleasure neurotransmitter is everyone's favorite dopamine 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 is is arguably the most um, important chemical in our brain mm-hmm. you know it's involved in motivation and by the way abraham maslow's hierarchy of needs is based on motivation when you're hungry you're motivated naturally to go and look for something to eat mm-hmm. if you're cold you're motivated naturally to look for something warm yeah so dopamine is intertwined with motivation okay it's also involved in our thoughts about pleasure like you said mm-hmm. you know it's involved with the way we think the way we plan so you can imagine a hormone that's involved in motivation thinking planning mm-hmm. sounds like someone who's looking to make a fortune <laughs> so i i can see that um 
So earning money or let's say the drive to earn money can easily be translated in the modern day to an instinctual drive. Of course, especially, especially in people who have not met their basic needs, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we, we um, are able to realize that the people who commit crime mm-hmm. don't do so because of greed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's out of necessity. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so that's so, so. We have like a picture of someone who's desperate to find shelter, food, or um, hopefully you don't pay their in. medical bills. Yeah, yeah. Pay their medical bills, and this person needs money to do these things. Mm-hmm. And the instinctual drive, the very basic drive of motivation, their dopamine goes all the way up. Mm-hmm. And you do anything, whatever it takes, to make sure that you satisfy this basic needs. Yeah. So if you if you give someone if you give someone money, it involves the same response as when you give them an addictive drug. Um, dopamine is also released with cocaine, um, heroin. A, a lot a lot of these um, a lot of these addictive drugs, these pleasurable drugs. Yeah. also release dopamine if you give someone something nice to eat or drink again dopamine is released if you hand someone money they're not there's nothing going in your body no there's nothing which you are biologically responding to it is completely abstract and completely, in your mind completely so if i were to give idris a 20 pound note right now he would have a nice dopamine spike yeah even though that piece of paper in itself does not provide anything physically to your body no. it is the symbol what it represents yeah and that dopamine spike that you speak of it will depend largely on how much i needed that 20 pound the anticipation mm. if i hadn't eaten that day hassan and you gave me a 20 pound note the amount of dopamine that will come in my brain from that kind gesture mm-hmm. will be different from if, you know, I'd had three square meals that day, I'd paid my rent, you mm-hmm. know, I had heating in my house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, money and dopamine, money and dopamine mm-hmm. are significantly intertwined. There have been studies where they've, um, they've also seen our more evolved responses to money in different ways. It's kind of painful or it makes you cringe a bit if you see money being destroyed. Mm. Um, there was this study where they gave the participants some chocolate and yeah. they said, okay, buddy, have our you know, lady have some chocolate and how long was it pleasurable for you? And they said, okay, let's say 45 seconds, 40 seconds. Then they made them, they gave them the chocolate again. And this time they made them watch a video of someone tearing up money. And they said, how much, how long did the pleasure last? It reduced substantially down to like maybe 30 seconds, 25 seconds. Yeah. Again, even though you have something physical which is giving you dopamine, yeah. simply seeing some that valuable thing being destroyed on an abstract level yeah. is reduces your pleasure. Yeah. On the flip side, if you're told something is expensive, it tastes better. <laughs> That's the media. That is definitely the media. Mm-hmm. But it's also perception and how we perceive things. Mm. Whether it's our own... Um, whether it's how we grew up and our own personality, for lack of a better word, yeah, or whether it is something which is 
quote unquote indoctrinated in us that we should like this you know yeah, yeah. even it even works with pain so if you so they did another um study i feel like i'm quoting a lot of studies today uh, <laughs> but um so there is a branded i ibuprofen that's right. like um um what we call an analgesic or painkiller yeah and so if you give someone a branded version not going to say the brand um but it's more expensive it looks nicer it's flashier it costs more is the exact same thing as that generic thing that that yeah. that you might buy but because it's perceived and it does cost more people yeah. report that the headache or the pain killing properties of that is increased yeah again i, th- I think that's that's really the work of the media um placebo placebo effects mm. you know when when you're made to feel like something is more important because it's more expensive without hard facts and keep in mind we prefer stories to facts yeah when someone tells us a story about how something is better and because it's better is more expensive mm-hmm. automatically we're going to think the one that's cheaper mm-hmm. is less effective people like to go to expensive restaurants to mm-hmm. get food mm-hmm. and that food may not necessarily better food yeah but because it's more expensive yeah so you you're more likely to eat less and be satisfied with less if you're paying more for it so i'm oh. not i'm i'm not suggesting that you just play you just pay exorbitant amounts so that you <laughs> eat less um but but generally if you are paying more for for food you go to a fancy restaurant the food might well be good but because it's a fancy restaurant and you're paying more yeah biologically psychologically you will enjoy it you will derive more pleasure from it simply on that basis isn't it crazy how our mind works how complex we are yeah uh, i i think um that's part of the reason why we chose this as part of our life and we both thought that being a psychiatrist would be a good idea it's a great idea we 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 talked we talked about the biology of money basically and how it's evolved with our responses yeah and we talked about why we have these instinctive drives as human beings are very basic animals and how that's come to be incorporated with money yeah uh we dodged the conspiracy theory bullet <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want to put you want to put me in trouble bro, on the radio <laughs> you want me to say something on the radio no yeah i mean um you're here to share your story we'll come back and we're going to talk about whether that drive to to obtain shelter can translate into the upper part of maslow's hierarchy and can we talk about whether achieving that money will actually make us happier we're talking about money and behavior and we've talked about how instinctual drives affect our pursuit of money yeah does earning more money make you happier or as the age old question goes can money buy happiness the answer to that question i i reckon is it depends it depends on quite a number of things mm-hmm. um the first thing is have your basic needs as a human being been met again bringing it back to abraham maslow okay if you've not eaten and then you get enough money to buy food money 
has brought you happiness. And I think to paint the picture on whether money can buy you happiness, um, let me tell you a story. I'm from a place called Lagos, Nigeria. Um, a lot of you probably have heard of Nigeria. Lagos, yeah. <laughs> and in Lagos, Nigeria, healthcare is expensive. You know, there's no free healthcare that, like you have in the UK. And as a result of that, money has a significantly higher effect on a person's sense of well-being compared to someone who has access to free healthcare. You know, so if say. I'm struggling with a kind of illness and I was in Lagos, Nigeria. What I'll need to do is figure out a way to make money mm -hmm. so I can get cured of my illness. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, if I didn't have money and somehow I came into more money, money has brought me happiness. Okay, so you're saying it's situational? It is situational, as opposed to someone who's in the UK mm -hmm. who has access to free healthcare anyway. Yeah. The effect of money may be less. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because one of their basic needs as a human being okay. is free. All right. So you're happy and healthy. Is that it? Yeah. I, <laughs> I am happy and healthy and... Yeah, you, it's, you've come to the UK and, you know, your um, certain restraints on your money are not there. Certain expenses basically are not there. Yeah. You're, um, if you have, you do not have the fear that just because you have or the anxiety that just because you don't have a certain number in your account, yeah. you or a loved one might suffer as a result of that. Yeah. And um, my partner is actually American and, and sometimes we have this conversation about about um, the differences in the UK and America. Mm -hmm. And in America, it's possible that for the job you're doing in the UK, you'd probably earn more money, but you also have to pay for healthcare. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the UK, you may not earn as much as you'd earn. I mean, we're doctors, we know the differences in how mm -hmm. much our colleagues in the US are earning versus how much we're earning, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I have mates that work in the US and, and they make sure that I'm very, <laughs> you peasant <laughs> make sure that I'm aware that I'm not earning as much as them you know but I think the good price to earn mm -hmm. less mm -hmm. is to have access to free health care because it's not just for when you're ill mm -hmm. it's the times between wellness knowing at the back of your mind that like you say if I become unwell mm -hmm. I know that I'll be alright eventually Okay, so what I'm hearing is that your that money can provide you happiness depending on what's deficient. And right. if those deficiencies are already being met, then perhaps the money in itself may not provide that sense of security or contentment that it should. That it should, yeah. You were speaking about being someone who wasn't who isn't from the UK originally. Yeah. Myself, I've been in the UK about three years. So I came here to work as a doctor. Right. The pay rise was substantial, I'm, I'm happy to say. Yet, once the first six months when where I was earning the, the, the most I have in basically in my whole life until that point in time, that was probably a more difficult for, time for me than any other time as well. Mm. Although there was money in the bank and I'm like, okay, I'm being rewarded for my services. I've worked hard to get here. 
yet I have no yet I have no friends I don't have a social life there's you know there's um, less to do beyond work and beyond earning money I'm not really doing anything with my life I wasn't DJing I wasn't doing any projects like I am now yeah so I I feel that I can agree that there's once your needs are met it doesn't necessarily mean that just having more money or having more numbers to see in your bank account will objectively make you feel better yeah i mean there was one time you were talking to me about that study mm. um by this gerontologist i forget right now so yeah that's a that's a good memory so there's this book by mr carl pillimer yeah that's the one and he had he wrote a book called 30 lessons for living and he's a um he specializes in in aging and how that changes uh, our our life our cognition the way we think he interviewed thousands of americans and he asked all of them that okay what important life lessons have we learned from all of your all of your time being alive yeah what did they say again not not a single one not one said that to be happy you should try to make more money <laughs> not one said that is important to be as wealthy as someone you know um not one not a single person said you should choose your work based on how much you think it'll make you earn in the future it makes you think doesn't it because there's a whole lot of people who who think that the more money you have the happier you're going to be and who better to ask if that is true than people who've existed mm-hmm. for so many decades of their lives mm-hmm. you know and 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 when you think about it people who have done studies on what makes us happy a lot of them speak about things such as you know the relationships we have doing a meaningful job mm-hmm. having time to spend with your partner and i'm sure if you read that book by that gentleman who's a gerontologist mm-hmm. there'll be similar themes in there that you know it's the experiences that we have mhm it's the memories that we have mhm and to be fair some of our memories are, are are facilitated by money but to think in in such um concrete terms that money equates happiness is is not seen the the full picture is it there's a gentleman called Easterlin right. and he has a paradox named after him it's called the <laughs> Easterlin paradox Yo, which that's is goals man i yeah. really really want a paradox to be named after me as well yeah i mean that's a cool album name too easterlin paradox featuring yeah. janadu good to go so he um so he made a generalization based on how much money you earn and how happy you are and it was multinational yeah and the findings or his theory or uh, was that you earn the the more you earn the happier you get up right. to a point okay it's not a linear graph it's not directly proportional that 10000 i'm i'm okay 20000 <laughs> i feel better 50000 i'm happy 1 million oh my god x you know it's um it it plateaus off mm and uh there are different studies who put in a number some some say that it's like 50,000 dollars a year some say 75 yeah. so uh, again this is a generalization yeah but it, this this in this individual was not a psychologist or was not a sociologist 
yet they did try to quantify it. Mm. They try to quantify is there a magic number that you should ask next time you're in the job interview it's like okay I want 75k because I've heard that's the magic number <laughs> that's what makes me happy if only we were that simple yes. if only human beings were that simple <laughs> no I, I I do agree that after a certain point and I keep bringing it to our hierarchy of needs mm. after a certain point when your basic needs have been met mm. it is possible I mean if you've got food, 3 square meals a day, you've got a house where you can either pay your rent or pay your mortgage or maybe you even lucky enough to have bought out your house. You live in a safe neighborhood where you're not scared that you're going to get robbed. And you're reasonably healthy. Mhm. Your basic needs have been met. It is possible that at that point you earning more money doesn't make you more happy. So I do agree with that study. However, I don't agree with putting a number on the amount of money that makes one individual happy and another individual unhappy. What should you spend money on or what can money not buy? Um well one of the things we've already established is that to an extent money can't buy happiness. Mhm. Um money can buy you resilience. Yeah, what, what do you mean resilience? Um what I mean is we live in a world that is uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. The only thing we have control over is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um there's a Time magazine article where they tried to talk about the um link between resilience and happiness and it found that the more resilient you are the happier you are um when life throws its numerous problems at you you know you have for example maybe um you're driving a car and you get a flat tire mhm or your car has a problem mm-hmm. the amount of money you have available to you can dictate how much that situation affects you yeah Um uh, Mr. Campbell wrote a book in 1981 called The Sense of Well-Being in America and his solution for happiness was simple he said having a strong sense of controlling one's life mm. is a more dependable predictor of positive feelings of well-being than any of the objective conditions of life I don't know who that is but that is a legend because I wholly agree with that to put it maybe oversimplified than the objective or materialistic things that you can get yeah. perhaps a bigger screen tv is not the answer to life's problems no, it's not about the amount of money or the things you can do with money mm. once you've gotten to that point it's about like you say control over your life mm. independence freedom all the good stuff all the good stuff elizabeth dunn well regarded researcher she said that you should spend money on experiences not products you were mentioning being able to go on holiday yeah and how dopamine part of it is also the anticipation of it exactly so let's say you've booked your holiday everyone knows that as soon as as you get closer to the date you get more excited so you enjoy the build up yeah so um what miss dun suggests is that that is what you should spend money on you should spend it on sounds like cliche advice but sounds better if someone's researched it <laughs> um that you should spend it on experiences mm. not objects or not products 
Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's true that some products lead to experiences, mm. you know. Um, for example, what's going on right now, it wouldn't be able to happen if we didn't get some products. But these products such as this mic and this Rodecaster Pro mm -hmm. and your laptop and all this stuff we're using to make this happen is creating an experience that I'm going to remember for some time. It's creating a memory. Mm. So it's true that we should chase experiences, but it's also true that some of those experiences that we chase yeah. are linked to things. Yeah, I, I think perhaps what the word I used before was product. Um, money can also be a tool. Mm. It is a means of achieving things, a means of making things easier. Yeah. You, we can't project our voice over the airwaves. Uh, <laughs> wish I could. Um, but we but we can buy certain tools yeah. which allow us to express ourselves, move from the bottom half to the top half of the pyramid Yeah, into the good stuff at the top is self-actualization. Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Welcome back to the Nirvana Principles show. Yeah. We are in our final segment. We've talked about the neurobiology of money and its humble beginnings and incorporation into our existence. Yeah. We've talked about money and happiness as well as a hierarchy of needs. There's so much information around the internet, around the world that reads about how to improve your finances. How, there's, how, there's loads, man. Um, loads. There's a bunch of professional stock analysts, whether they are someone who has a YouTube channel <laughs> or someone who is, um, I don't know, who has a degree. Yeah. How much can they really predict? How much can they really bring about lasting change that will make... That will that will give us the contentment and happiness and security that we seek yeah. from money. You said a whole lot of things that beg the question: Why isn't everyone rich? We've got all this knowledge, we've got all these stock analysts and all these people telling us what to do with our money based on data and all these things. So why isn't everyone rich? And you know, let me tell you a bit about stock analysts. These guys. They sit in their office, they wear suits, drink tea, and they say all these fancy things like, oh, you should put 10% of your money here and 10% of your money here, you know? My mom and says that. She's like, then save 10% or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, if you, is your mom a stock analyst, bro? No, no, no okay. Jesus I don't really like stock analysts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they tell you to invest. You know, none of them predicted COVID. No single stock analyst in this world, hmm. no one, we live in a world where you have to be humble enough to realize that while you can control yourself, mm -hmm. you cannot control the world around you. Yeah, so that, that sounds a bit like something which we study about um, yeah. called the cognitive triad. Exactly. Um, made by, it's called Beck's cognitive triad. It's by Aaron Beck, who's a very celebrated figure in psychology and psychiatry. Yeah. So there's a triangle and the triangle consists of Pretty much what we are talking about. It consists of the future, yep. which we cannot predict. Yeah. It consists of the world around us, which let's face it, we don't have much control over. <laughs> nope. And the third and final and perhaps most important aspect of this is self. 
So if it's a connected triangle to break that cycle, to bring about change, to see, to change how we perceive things and hence change how we feel about them. Yeah. The only real thing you and I or anyone listening can control or change is... Is themselves. Is themselves. That's the, that's the one thing you have control over. I'm a fan of the Stoics and the reason why I'm a fan of the Stoics is that they're all about action, not just back and forth debate. Mm -hmm. So Roman emperor and philosopher Marcus Aurelius, who is Stoic, mm -hmm. he said we should discipline ourselves in small things and from these progress to things of greater value. So how that relates to money would be that discipline is what separates the men from the boys? Of course. Discipline is what separates people that are happy with their money mm -hmm. and people that are not. Well, one of the things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me say this a different way. For you to be physically fit, mm -hmm. there has to be some degree of consistency in there. Okay, no four hours once a week. No, and it's been established. I mean, you can check loads of research that have been done. Mm -hmm. That you're better off doing little bits of exercise consistently yeah. mm -hmm. than doing large amounts of exercise at once or inconsistently. So it's better to save money of a fixed, consistent amount. Of course. And by the way, I was just talking about exercise right now. If you don't do any exercise, for the <laughs> love of God, please get up and do something. Walk around your house, walk around the block. Just do something and do it consistently. Then you build from there. It's been shown that you're better off starting that way than trying to pay for a gym membership that you're not going to stick to. Do something small, do something consistently. And that is the approach I reckon to take with money as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we hear people telling you to save money and, and their approach is all wrong. They tell you to save certain amounts of money when the approach should be the way a stoic would look at it. Mm. Your own self, your own behavior, yeah. your discipline, and you build off on that, build off on that consistency, build off on that ability to set a goal and stick to it, whether or not it's pleasant to stick to because you're able to delay your gratification. So it sounds like what you're saying is that being rich is a habit. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we've been talking about Abraham Maslow mm -hmm. and his hierarchy of needs yeah. for um, huge proportions of this show. Yeah, so we talked about like Parfit being uh, needs that are born of deficiency or yeah. the basics like we were saying. And then there's growth needs. Yeah. So you are healthy. You have some money in the bank. Yeah. Okay. Where does this pyramid go? How do you reach the zenith? How do you reach the peak? What do you do once you reach there? So when you've reached that point where everything is sorted out, mm. you're happy. And by happy, I don't mean elated or euphoric. Mm. You know, I mean content. Okay, so more serotonin rather than dopamine. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're content with where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. The next step to reaching transcendence, to reaching self-actualization, yeah. 
is to share that happiness to involve yourself in volunteering mm-hmm. to involve yourself in charity because now what you're doing is you're not just happy mm-hmm. you're potentially taking away someone's psychological pain mm-hmm. or you're making them happy so once you have enough you give to others you should give to others and loads of studies would tell you that one of the most satisfying things you can do is mm-hmm. volunteer do something for someone who cannot or will not pay you back for that thing you do for them there are studies that have shown that we are more likely to spend money on loved ones we find happiness in giving charity yeah a study by um by the americans the americans um I want, you know i just wondered if that's why men tend to spend all their money on women yeah. women are more likely to be generous oh i'm not sure but if you're a lady and uh want to maybe buy some nice psychiatrist some lunch or dinner <laughs> we would be more than hell- happy but but uh but good on you okay yeah, yeah. that's quite interesting isn't mm. it mm. it's quite interesting yeah so they gave participants in the study uh either 5 pounds or uh, sorry either 5 dollars or 20 dollars yeah and they had to spend that money the same day by like you know 5 the same day yeah some of the participants were given where the task was to spend the money on themselves okay and for the other half was to spend money on someone else so people who spent money on themselves bought like food bought some trinkets for themselves uh those who spent it on others like you know bought them like like maybe a toy or for a kid or something like that yeah they then um checked their mood they checked it you, you know through a questionnaire or scale how did they rate their mood so they found that those who had spent the money it was still free money you were you're still happy you're still getting that dopamine spike from the bill someone handed yeah. to you yeah. and you're spending it as well but those who spent it on others were reported feeling much better much happier much better in mood of course they did is is um basic human nature i think it goes really deep to the fact that at the end of the day we're all connected anyway we all share one consciousness um anyway i'm worried of making this <laughs> too deep N- next podcast we go into <laughs> the state of consciousness and cosmos <laughs> um yeah we do have some cool stuff coming up as well though okay so we've talked about the cognitive triad and how we are the only thing that we can change. Yeah. We borrowed a page from the Stoics and we realized that discipline begins with ourselves. Of course. And small changes lead to big changes. Like like I just said, if you're disciplined with your money, mm. you're going to find it easier to find the behavior, to find the consistency, to find the control required for you to be disciplined with your exercise. Yeah, I, I agree on that because we are in this show and i guess as psychiatrists we agree that it's the temptation is biologically the same yeah the need for instant gratification remains whether it's to avoid that kebab <laughs> whether it's to avoid splurging money when you shouldn't it it comes back to this being a drive and you are addicted to instant gratification you do want that dopamine hit and it's human and it's natural yeah However, consciously you can change that and you can enjoy the habit now. Yeah. Yeah. 
as adults, we can still retrain our brain. We can still change it. We can still. That's the whole concept of of psychotherapy, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the whole concept of psychotherapy. It all starts with the mind and retraining the mind. Mm. Think a different way. Act a different way. Be a different way. Or maybe you've already known all these things, and this just reinforced your perspectives. Mm. Whatever it is, we're hoping is positive perspective. Yeah, and we're hoping you let us know. And uh, did you find this episode useful? Um, did you enjoy your company? Were we annoying? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you, bro. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I see how this is going. End of the show, and the real Idris starts coming out. No. <laughs> I see how this is. No more use for me. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Let's yes, let's know what we can improve on you. Yeah, so you can find us on on Twitter at it's at at Nirvana Principle, as well as on Instagram with the same handle. We would love to hear from you. This is a new project, and melodic distraction have been kind enough to uh, support mental health and support these concepts. Thank you very much, Idris, for coming on the show, sharing your thoughts, taking your time out. It's been nice to be here, man. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot today. <laughs> same here, same here. We hope to see you soon. Until next time.